Good morning to all of you. Once more, good morning. Welcome to you. Welcome to all of you at the Franklin campus. I remind all of you that we're a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Those of us gathered here at Woodburn and those of you gathered at Franklin, we are a part of the same church and we're united by the Holy Spirit and by video uh, on certain occasions. And God bless you. We love you so much. I love your new playground at Franklin. I love all of you riding the van with Willie Ray. Willie Ray, pull off at Pizza Hut and, and, and treat those, charge it to Charlie Brooks or whatever. And uh, take care of all those coming on the van. Love you so much. Uh, God bless you. It is a pleasure and a privilege to be a part of the Church of the Living God. And I want us to talk about that a bit. Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 15 and read into chapter 2. The majesty of the church is something very hard to imagine but very, very easy to forget. But the truth of the matter is, we are all a part, we've been chosen to be a part of something so wonderful. And it's hard to absorb that. It's hard to really imagine, and it's so very easy to forget what the church is and what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. But I want us to think about it. You've been chosen to be a part of something wonderful. Now, when I say that, I know what happens in your head when I try to convince you, when I try to explain to you the, the wonder and the bewilderment of, of being called to be a part of the church. It's just something that washes over us because in the day and age in which we live, if somebody tells you that you've been chosen to receive something wonderful, you know they're trying to sell you something. You just start looking for your wallet because you understand that most of the time, nothing good happens to you. Nobody gives you anything. Nobody chooses you for anything special. I'll never forget my mother's first day on the internet, Diane Harris. You know, it's senior adults in the internet, kind of, I don't know. But, but my mom, that first day, went wandering out unsupervised on the World Wide Web, and we all knew it was going to be trouble. She was home by herself, and she started, you know, just surfing and pushing buttons and all of that. And within the first hour, she calls me, and she says, Tim, I've won some vinyl siding. I said, Mom, what are you talking about? She said, I was on the computer, and this box just popped up and told me I'd won vinyl siding. I said, Mama, you didn't click on that, did you? Please don't click on that. Don't click on anything. She said, what do you mean click on it? I won vinyl siding. I said, Mama, you live in a brick house. You don't need vinyl siding. There is no vinyl siding. Please tell me you didn't click on it. She said, well, what if I click on it? I said, Mom, you don't want to click on it. If you click on that one, there will be a whole lot more. She said, well, I clicked on it. I said, Mom, don't click on anything else. Don't click on anything. Just back away from the computer. Mom said, you all make me so mad. Now, she's just talking to me, but she says, you all, who's she talking about? Who all is she mad at? All of us. All of us. All of us who are in this vast conspiracy to keep her from getting vinyl siding. All of us. So she's mad. She hangs up. Sometime that afternoon, she didn't call me back. I think she called my sister. And guess what? She had won $25,000 on the internet because she was the one millionth visitor to a particular website. She had won something like $25,000 for being the millionth visitor. Tracy said, Mama, you didn't click on that, did you? Mom said, no, they just want my information. 
Tracy said, do not give them your information. Mom said, but that's the only way they can send me my money. The only way to get my $25,000 is to give them my address. Mom, there is no money. You all make me so mad, Mom said. There is no money. There is no vinyl siding. When somebody says you have been chosen for something wonderful, most of us, not my mother, but most of us realize that there's just nothing like that going to happen to us. It just doesn't happen. In church, we do a lot of that, unfortunately, a lot of that. Guess what? You have a marvelous opportunity, but what we mean is we want you to crawl on your belly and scrape the gum off the bottom of the pews. Usually, that's the kind of thing somebody's about to pull over on you when they tell you there's something wonderful. But people continue to use that on us. The internet continues to tell you, you, you've won a great prize. You may already be a winner, the envelope says. And we fall for that because deep down inside, there's always a part of us that is hoping, just hoping that something like that might happen for us. Deep down inside, there's that part of me that really, really wishes something so magnificent would happen. And this is what I'm telling you today. This is what I'm telling you. Something that magnificent really has happened. You really have been chosen for something so wonderful. It's very hard to imagine and very easy to forget. But you have been chosen for something so amazing. You have been chosen to be a part of the church. You're feeling let down already. You're thinking, oh my goodness, another one of those preacher things. No, I'm telling you, it's so difficult to understand. It is so hard to let it penetrate. But what Christ has done for us by bringing us together into his church is a most amazing blessing. As Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, and into chapter 2, it's a prayer for the church. It's a prayer for a particular church uh, back in his day, but it is also a prayer for us. And if you notice, a lot of what he prays is simply that we'll learn to understand who we are and what we have and the wonder of what has happened to us by being brought into his body. Listen and read and understand what Jesus is doing for us and what he wants us to have together as his church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, this is the word of the Lord. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, stop right there, notice strong faith and love for God's people, they, they go together. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. 
Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Please spread the word. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Paul's talking about the church. I want us to think about the church. I'm starting a new message series today entitled, Don't Join This Church Until. Don't join this church until. And today I want us to say, don't join this church until you are saved and baptized. I know it seems strange. It seems strange that a pastor in a podunk little town and a podunk little church would be telling anybody not to join. You'd think we'd be trying to get all the members we can, and in one sense we are. But in another sense, I want to say, hold it, wait, don't join this church until, until you understand a few things. There was a couple who was visiting Woodburn Baptist some time ago, and honestly, they really seemed to be enjoying it. They just showed up one Sunday, and then they started coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I got to know them. I learned their names. I got their address. I got their permission to visit in their home. I went to their house, and I talked to the man and the woman. And, and honestly, they were loving our church, but they weren't Christians. I found that out on the first visit. Neither of them had ever reached a point in their lives when they were ready to surrender their hearts to Christ. They had never prayed for the forgiveness of their sins. They had never made Christ Lord of their lives. They had simply never become Christians, and they told me they weren't ready to do so. I shared the gospel with them. I prayed with them. They just weren't ready, and I respected that. That is their choice. I encouraged them to keep coming to church. I let them know I'd be happy to talk with them again about their salvation, about anything on their hearts. 
just keep coming to church, and, uh, and we parted. And it was very friendly. I, I really liked this couple. Just about a few days later, they came walking up the sidewalk, and I was outside greeting, and I greeted them. Hey, and I called them by name, and they walked up and shook my hand and said, Guess what, Pastor? We have decided that today we want to join the church. I was pretty excited because I, I'm thinking I know what this means. I said, that's fantastic. Are you telling me that you're ready to become Christians? Or, or, or have you already become Christians? Did you become Christians? They said, no, not at all. We're not ready for that. But we want to become members of your church. I, I said as gently, as kindly as I could. I, I said, well, well you can't. You, you, you can't. They, they said, what do you mean? I, I said, well. The church, by definition, we're, we're a body of Christians, a body of believers. We're an organization of, of, of Christians. You, you can't be a member of the church if you're, not, if you're not a Christian. They just said, oh, they walked in church that night. They sat through church that night. <coughs> but they walked away, and they've never come back. They've never been back. I know I offended them. I guess you'd say I ran them off. I apologize if you think I messed up. But I insist I did the right thing with that couple. I, I insist that. In the first part, joining a church is a very, very important decision. And I'm really never going to be the pastor that just lets anybody who wants to walk down the aisle and join. I really don't think that's my place. I think I'd be a horrible pastor, <clears throat> a horrible Christian, a horrible representative of the gospel. If I just gave the impression that all you have to do to be a part of the church is walk down the aisle <clears throat> and take a pastor's hand. I really think I would be lousy if I gave that impression. <clears throat> Being a member of the church of Jesus Christ, becoming a member of the church of Jesus Christ <clears throat> is a very, very important decision, an important moment in your life. And it's not at all something that you can do casually. Joining a church is not something you just wake up in the morning and decide to do. It's not something that you do because you like the people or because you need a place to network for your job. Joining a church is not at all something like that. It's a very important covenant. It's a very important commitment, and you need to understand that. I really think that in our day and age, I think there are a lot of people, a lot of church people, who take the commitment to be a member of the church way too casually. And let me be so bold as to say that. I do not think in your life you should change churches a hundred times. I think there's something profoundly wrong with the person who has to change churches every two years. I do not think that's what church membership is supposed to be about. I, I really don't think that it's the kind of thing where you just change churches several times. And, and honestly, if you're that person who somehow gets unsatisfied, who has to leave every couple of years or couple of months, you really need to examine what you think church membership is about. It's a very serious commitment. It's a very serious covenant. And so anytime a person is coming to me about joining the church, I always ask them to stop and consider it. Don't rush. It's not very much unlike getting married in my mind. That, not that necessarily you're, you're marrying us, but in a lot of ways you are. It's that kind of covenant. It's that kind of commitment. 
When the scripture speaks of the church, it speaks of the church in the greatest and most lofty ways. And in many ways, it compares being a part of Christ's body to being in a marriage relationship. The covenant, the promise, the commitment is similar. Please spread the word. Joining a church, becoming a member of a Christian church is not a casual thing. You don't rush it. You don't do it just on a whim. You don't do it because you think it might be nice or, or, or you think you, you might get a break in getting married in the place. You understand? You don't join a church for reasons like that. It's a very important commitment. The other thing I guess I need to say, the other thing that, that led me to, to, to tell that couple they couldn't join without being Christians, the most important part is that it's simply not my place. Understand, it's not my place to say who becomes a member of the church and who doesn't. That's not my place. Y'all know me, I'm easy. If it were my place, I'd let everybody in. I don't like to disappoint people. I don't like to tell people no. If it were my place, I would be way easy. But that's not my place. That's why I couldn't stand there that day and in good conscience welcome that couple into the church. It's not my church. It's not our organization. We can't do that. The church belongs to Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. It is his body. Paul says it is Jesus who fills and sustains everything. The church belongs to Jesus. Therefore, the only way to become a member of the church is by Jesus. The only way is by Jesus. That's why you can't become a member of this church, or it should be any Christian church. You can't become a member of the body of Christ unless you know Christ. So before you think about joining this church or any other church, you've got to know that you know that you know Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. It's not my church to let you in. It's not my church to kick you out of. It's Jesus' church. The only way in is through him. Let's define the term. What exactly do you think a church is? Honestly, it sounds like an easy thing, but I'm afraid that a lot of people really have the wrong idea. Let's talk about what the church is not. First, the church is not a place to go on Sunday. The church is not a place to go on Sunday. Some people, that's just what it is. Church, you get up on Sunday morning and you, and you go to church and they think of the building or the gathering. They think of it as a place to go. But if that's what church is to you, you've really gotten the wrong idea. Church is not a place to go on Sunday. Church is not a building. The church is not some sort of exclusive club. It's not like a clubhouse here. And we're not like a, a group of people, a club of people with, with a loose affiliation like the, like the Lions Club or, or maybe your, your, your reading club at the library. We're not a loose affiliation of people. There's nothing loose about this. We're not even a, an affiliation of people with, with, with similar religious beliefs. That's not what we are either. It's not that we sort of believe the same and we have some of the same religious and political opinions, so we like to come together and sort of charge each other up. That is not what the church is. Understand, the church really is people. It, it, it is people. It is all of the people who have professed but also show evidence of salvation through Jesus Christ. 
those who profess salvation, but it's more than that. It's not enough just to say, yes, I'm a Christian. It's also the ones who show evidence of that. Because there are some people who say they're believers, and they're not really truly believers. There are people who tell you they're a Christian, but they're not a true Christian. And we can never know. We are not in the situation to judge, and we never can judge. But the church, the true church, is is that group, that gathering of people who have professed but also show evidence of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's who the church is. The amazing thing is it's always bigger than you can ever see or imagine. The biggest part of the church is invisible to you. We would say that this gathering here is a local church. We're Woodburn Baptist Church here and also in Franklin and the congregation that will gather at 11. We're Woodburn Baptist Church, but even then we're a part of something larger than ourselves, and I love that. But it's even bigger than that. That The church entails all people everywhere who profess and show evidence of salvation through Jesus Christ. In every nation, every language, every time zone, And every generation, part of the church is in glory now with the Lord. They've gone on to be with him. Do you understand? The church is universal. The church is timeless and eternal. And you're a part of it if you belong to Jesus, if you've been saved. You're a part of that. You've got to understand what the church is. It's not just a place to come. It's not a a club to join. It is a supernatural and eternal body of Christ. It's Christ's body. It's his body. And the only way, the only way to become a part of it is through him. When the scriptures talk about the church, there's just this basic assumption, an obvious assumption that the church involves people who know Christ, people who have been transformed by him. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians. Notice how he describes it, chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. He's talking to the church. Once you were dead, you used to live in sin just like everybody else obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. All of us used to live that way, he says in verse 3. But God, so rich in mercy, verse 4, loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. That's salvation, my friend. That's salvation. And something like that must happen to you personally. You must have that kind of personal transformation through Christ In other words, you're going to reach a point in your life when you realize that there is some part of you, the most important and deepest part of you, is dead. Of course you're walking around. Of course you're holding a job, maybe at least part-time. Of course you've got a family, or of course you're active and you're living and you're breathing. But the scriptures say there's something about you, the most important part of you, is dead. Dead. And condemned, and that's the horrible news, but you have to absorb it. It's the horrible news. We are born as sinners, and we live in sin. And Scripture says everybody does. Everybody's like that. And unless something happens, the whole world goes to hell. Do you understand that? Because everybody is condemned in sin. I'm no different than you are. We are all sinners. But Christ does something wonderful. Even though I was dead, even though you were dead, if you believe through Christ, 
You were brought to life. Some part of you that was dead now begins to live. It's that part of you that knows God and loves God. It's that part of you that can pray and that part of you that God's spirit can begin to work and operate within and transform and grow. It's your soul. It's your spirit. And salvation comes through Christ, the scripture says. It's a gift of grace from Christ. It's his kindness and his mercy. You're not going to get saved by being a good person. You're not going to get saved by doing good things because you're really not so good. You're not as good as you think. You've already sinned enough to send your way into hell. You're not going to be good enough now to make it to heaven. It's not by works, not by being good. It's a gift from Christ. You believe it. You accept it. You receive it. And God does a miracle, the miracle of salvation in your heart. All you have to do is believe it, receive it, ask for it. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the scripture says, shall be saved. You can't join the church until you get saved. It's not me saying you can't because because I say you can. It's not me saying it. It's the scriptures. And we're a body of Christ that believes the scriptures. The only people who can be members of this church are going to be Christians. Because that's what Jesus says. And it's his church. The very first thing that a new believer should do, once you get saved, the scripture says, the very next step for you is to be baptized. Now listen to me because I know there's disagreement among certain denominations, but the scriptures, in my opinion, do not teach that baptism saves a person. We just read the whole part from Ephesians on how a person gets saved, and it says it's not by works. It's not by anything you can do. Honestly, if I thought that you could get saved by getting baptized, the first time one of you walked real close, I'd just push you in. I'd just be pushing you all in. I'd be hosing you in the parking lot if that's all it took. I would push you in. But it's not that. It's faith. It's belief. It's something that happens in your heart. Baptism is not what saves a person, but it is the very first act of obedience. The very first thing a new Christian should do is be baptized. Baptism does not save a person. Brother Tim, when I talked to you about joining the church, I'd already been baptized, but you said I still need to be baptized again. I probably told you that because you were baptized as a baby. Most Christian denominations, this is how Baptists are different, most Christian denominations baptize their babies. We don't do that. I'm not saying we're better, I'm just telling you how we're different. We don't baptize our babies. And honestly, just let me be honest, there's not a single place in Scripture anywhere where you see a baby baptized. There's not a single verse in Scripture that says to baptize your babies. And there's not an instance anywhere in God's Word that says that's how a person becomes a Christian. I'm not saying your parents were bad people. I'm not saying the church you came from was a bad church. I'm just telling you, I'm I'm trying to preach the Bible, and you won't find a single verse that says baptize babies. And that's why we don't do it. And that's why when you come and say, yeah, Brother Tim, I was baptized as a baby, that's why I, I, I try to say that in order to unite with us, we want you to be baptized now. We want you to choose baptism. That's not something other people can choose for you. 
You have to be able to confess Christ with your own mouth, the scripture says. You have to be able to at least be aware of the fact that you're being baptized. A baby doesn't know. Baptism is a remarkable symbol. It's a remarkable way of of letting everyone know what Christ has done inside of you. Notice what the scripture says. It's like being dead and then brought back to life. And that's what baptism pictures. We step into the water there. It's not magic water. It's not even holy water. It's a powerful symbol of salvation. And in that moment, we push you down into the water and we say you're buried with Christ in baptism. You're dead, you understand? Just like the scripture says, it's a way of picturing the fact that you've died with Christ and then raised to new life, raised to live the life that Christ will live inside of you, dead and raised. Baptism does not save you, but you're commanded to be baptized in Scripture. The first thing you do after you become a Christian, follow the Lord in believer's baptism. So honestly, you just can't join this church until you're saved and baptized. It's the way we all come in. Not making an exception for you. It's the only way in Scripture we see that you can become a part of the church. Become a part of the church. I said earlier that it's something personal, and it is personal. It's got to happen to you. Your grandma may be a Christian, but that won't make you a Christian. Maybe other members of your family are Christians, but that doesn't make you Christian. It's got to be personal, and it is personal. Salvation is personal, but it's not private, and it's not individualistic. Notice as Paul speaks here in chapter 2, he keeps talking about how we are united with Christ. And that's the thing. When I become a Christian, I'm united with Christ. But at the same time, I become united with everyone else who is united with Christ. You see how that works? I'm not just baptized into Christ. I'm baptized into his church. So it is not just my life anymore. I become a part of something larger than myself. I become a part of a whole body, the body of Christ. I become a part of everybody else who is a part of Christ. That means my life now is a life I share. I share it in Christ, with Christ, but it's also a life I share with everybody else who shares the life of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? That means as a Christian, I'm chosen for something wonderful. I am brought into the body of Christ, universal, invisible, eternal. I am now a part of that. But that means that I follow Christ. I continue to follow after him. And it means that I become involved in your life as a fellow Christian, as a brother, as a sister. We become very invested in each other. I become invested in your life, and we live our lives in such a way where we share Christ and we share everything else. I become involved in your life. I do everything I can for you to do you some spiritual good. I become involved in your life, and you become involved in my life, and we become all messed up in each other's lives in the most wonderful way for the purposes of the gospel. For the purposes of Christ doing his work in us, to do each other good, that's what the church is. That's what the church is. I love the way Paul starts the whole prayer. 
He says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for God's people everywhere. Your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people. Don't you understand? Those things go together, very closely together. I preach that may be true, but I'm a Christian, but I don't, I don't want nothing to do with church. I do not have to go to church to love Jesus. I do not have to go to church to be a Christian. I can worship the Lord out on the lake while I'm fishing. Show me that in the Bible. Show me that. You may be a fantastic fisherman, but you might be a lousy Christian. Do you understand? The Bible just doesn't talk about that kind of freelance Christianity. There is no picture in the, in the New Testament of a Christian who can just be cut off from the rest of the body of Christ. If you don't want anything to do with Christ's bride, then I'm not so sure you really want anything to do with Christ. A strong faith in the Lord Jesus and a love for God's people, they, they go together. They go together. You've been chosen to be a part of something wonderful it's the church of the Lord Jesus. It is the bride and the body of Christ. I'll be the first to admit that as a church, Woodburn Baptist Church, we fall very, very short of what Christ wants us to be. I'll be the first to say that. We don't quite understand yet the power and the love that we should be exercising. We don't quite get it. I'll be the first to say that. We are sort of a pale shadow of what Christ intended. I'll be the first to say that, but I will also say the local church is the hope of the world. And Woodburn Baptist Church has a message and a power within us that would transform this community and your life and your family if we would really begin to tap into it. I understand that the church doesn't always look like what Scripture says it is. But if we would come together if we would love him with whole hearts and learn to love each other, the church would begin to be what Christ died to make it be. Honestly, if you're considering joining this church, I want to see you join. I, I promise I do. I want more and more people and more and more places to come to Christ. I want the Lord to use this church in all of the ways possible. And if the Lord could bring your family, you into our church, I can think of nothing more wonderful, nothing more delightful. But at the same time, I don't want you to rush it. Don't rush it. And don't join this church until you're saved and baptized. Don't join this church until you know that you know that you know Jesus. After all, this is not our church. It's his church. And you cannot come in by any other way than through him. Stop and pray with me. Lord Jesus, forgive us. You speak of what the church is meant to be, and we read in scripts of what the church is created to be, and Lord, we look around, and day after day after day, we fall so far short of being that church. But God, we know you're not finished with this yet. It's a process. You're working in our hearts, and you're changing each and every one of us to be more like you. And Lord, we know that the process of changing us to be more like you is a process that involves us in each other's lives. 
themselves. I can't do it without the rest of my fellow Christians. I need them. They need me. We need each other. Lord Jesus, I know that there are folks today who are interested in joining the church, this church or any church, but they haven't yet fully understood what the church is and what it means to become a part of Christ. Lord Jesus, my prayer today is not that more and more people would come to the church. My prayer is that more and more people would come to Christ. So Jesus, I pray that you would fall down heavy upon hearts in this house and at Franklin and within the sound of my voice, Lord. Lord Jesus, knock upon the doors of hearts and convict the hearts of sinners and teach them, Lord, that there's something dead about them that only you can bring to life, Lord Jesus. I pray that your saving power and the convicting presence of your Holy Spirit would be at work in this place today to save souls. Lord Jesus, we love the church. We love being the church, but, but Lord, we know that we, we love you first and we love you most and that the church belongs to you. So Lord Jesus, today, have total control over this church have complete mastery of this worship service and everything that happens as we begin to respond to you. Oh, Lord Jesus, speak sweetly and strongly to our hearts. Help us to come to you. We pray in your holy name. Amen.